Welcome to episode 35 of the PharmaSec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmaSec magazine and our podcast host. PharmaSec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. This week, we're speaking with Robert Finkel, the CEO of the Fresh Blood Group. Bob talks about the positives and negatives of pharma's marketing needs, the details and evolution around founding the Fresh Blood Group, and how emerging pharma and biotech companies can budget in successful marketing. So let's take a really quick break, and then we'll play Bob's interview. The July issue of PharmaSec is out now. This issue focuses on compliance. In our cover story, big pharma compliance leaders discuss the strategic move to principles-based policies at their companies and the impact of other emerging forces influencing industry compliance practice. To read the article and more articles from the July issue, visit pharmaexec.com. Greetings, podcasters. Today, Lisa Henderson, our editorial director, and I will be interviewing Robert Finkel, the CEO of healthcare marketing agency and consultancy, the Fresh Blood Group. Lisa and I spoke to Bob a couple of weeks ago, and he really has a fresh take on emerging pharma's needs in this space and how they can effectively communicate their narrative. Thanks for joining us today, Bob. Thanks for having me today, Lisa. Bob, you've worked with large pharma in the role as a partner and founder of Kane and Finkel. So reflecting on their marketing needs as well as their culture, what would you say are the positives and the negatives? Uh, thanks for that question. Uh, as far as working with some of the larger pharmas or even the mid-sized pharmas, I think that, uh, again, just it's, it's mostly been a very positive experience uh, for me. And I think that in many respects, um, some of the more positive things were that I've, I've had an uh, ability to be exposed to a lot of different thinking, a lot of different uh, people with various backgrounds, and a lot of smart people, uh, quite, quite truthfully, uh, much smarter than me, uh, for instance, who are generally showing up in the room. Um, and the, the, the one thing that I, I've appreciated about that is the exposure. Uh, to different ways of thinking, whether it's coming from the the, the marketing side or the science team, um, it's it's really great to have that exchange and be able to to sort of pull from the various experiences and, and knowledge base that's in the room. Uh, as far as maybe something that's not so positive, um, I think that oftentimes uh, people are coming in, whether it's an agency or a consultant, where they're following. They're, they're asked to follow sort of a path that's already been laid out, um, where the decisions have pretty much been determined or pretty well defined, or at least thought. Uh, the, the thinking is that it's a, a path that should be taken, and uh, you may be coming in to help make some strategic recommendations, but less so. And really, it, it gravitates quickly towards uh, execution and, and, and a certain level of order taking. So that's, you know, again, that's not entirely terrible. But if you don't believe in, in the direction, you're sort of in a, in a situation where you either fall in line or you quickly are, are, are outed in some respects. So I think it really depends on whether you have that cr- the credibility and the credentials in the room to be able to speak up 
and share your share your honest opinions and whether they're going to be received. And that becomes somewhat difficult uh, depending on the group and and who's uh, who's in charge. So just being honest there, I think there's a lot of it has to do with the, the dynamics in the room and to a certain degree some of the politics. Why did you choose to found Fresh Blood Consulting, and how has it evolved? So quite honestly, I, I needed myself to have some fresh perspective, uh, no pun intended there, but that, that perspective came from, from a point in time where I had been in the industry for several decades, had, had run several different companies, uh, primarily the agencies, and I saw an evolution in the industry, uh, I was trying to, to understand what that was, and uh, that required me to, to frankly step a little bit outside my own comfort zone or even outside of my own company and conduct some, some market research. It was, it was casual market research, but it was really talking to people I, I knew and I trusted to understand where the industry seemed to be headed and whether that was good or bad remained to be seen. And what I realized is that a lot of the reasons that clients uh, either trusted or distrusted their communications partners was because of that sort of bait-and-switch mentality or not really getting the, the first-class A team that they had bargained for, uh, that they were promised. And so I saw that as an opportunity to to be able to take a step back, look at what I was doing, what we were doing as a company, and wanted to evolve. And, and I thought the first step was to really re-enter the market as a consultant. Um, again, I had come from an agency background, and that was really my passion, and I had a creative background as well. But the consultant role was one that I relished. I thought that um, earned you a, a kind of a, a more welcomed seat at the big boy table um, where you could you could pull up and sit with the C-suite and, and you, you came in with a bit more of the um, open-minded kind of attitude that you saw when you weren't coming in as an agency. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. And I, I you know, I, I, I got bit by that. I kind of found, found that to be really refreshing. And I, I stayed with that plan. And in the meantime, I felt that there was a need for, an evolved model, more of a hybrid model with the, watching the confluence of business models between consultancies and agencies and how they were essentially gobbling up one another or trying to, trying to provide a lot of the same capabilities as each other. It was becoming more and more difficult to be uh, distinct um, in, when you were playing that, that role. And so with Fresh Blood Group, I was able to build out a consultancy with, with strong executional firepower uh, and, and tap into my colleagues, tap into people that I knew and trusted, uh, who I had worked with, who I felt were the A-team, who were going to be able to, to bring the best uh, that the industry had to offer to the table. And, and that might be a more nimble model than what I had been used to. And I think that was greatly appreciated by the clients that I started to, to work with. There is another facet to this, of course, is, again, coming from an agency where bigger was better in terms of clients, at least that was the, the, the school of thought, 
I retuned my focus to a different a different type of a client in terms of their you know their demographic. Uh, where were they in their life cycle? And what I found interesting was the ability to start looking at these new younger companies that were truly pioneering medicine and devices and diagnostics and doing things that oftentimes weren't what you were what you were handed when you were working with some of the bigger companies. These companies that I'm referring to that are again younger startup um, stage or at least clinical development stage, they had a, a different type of passion that I, I felt was palpable when I walked into the room. Again, there was there was a a lot of individuals who were there who were the who were there at the beginning of the company. They weren't the people who were necessarily hired. They were the people who started the company. So they they brought their passion and their beliefs and their different convictions, and I felt that uh, the energy in the room and the passion in the room and the intelligence in the room was just, you know, it was um, contagious. And I, again, felt very strongly about staying with that type of a, of a client. And it was rewarding um, on a lot of different levels. I found, I found more purpose in many respects than what I had sometimes felt after a long day at the office. That's really great. Thank you. When we talked, Bob, you described the difference around branding science. Can you tell our listeners about that? Absolutely. Again, I'm happy to to talk about branded science. Uh, uh, The concept of branded science really arose out of the need to help facilitate audience understanding of, of sometimes very difficult or emerging medical concepts that they were unfamiliar with. And so the, the situation might be such that classic product promotion wouldn't really be the right opportunity or right or right timing in which to educate some of these audiences um, and bring key opinion leaders on board, for instance. So the approach that branded science took was to was to take a more educational approach to things, and that would help strengthen the communications so that. It was less of a directive and far more of an invitation to, to learn more. And I found this to be seriously helpful uh, for a lot of companies who had come from a, a much more R&D background or science background where they weren't used to speaking the language of branding or even promotion. And so that was um, the, the etiology of that of that concept of branded science and its application I found to be useful in particularly earlier stages of a product's life cycle, oftentimes before uh, that product was, was coming to market. So it was, it was good from the standpoint of market conditioning as well as helping to, to facilitate understanding that could be later on um, tapped into during uh, branded communications. So I think um, when we were talking about that before the branded science, you had mentioned that there's an importance of forming a narrative that's part of, I think, what you're saying that goes into this um, multiple yeah. stakeholder discussion, right? So, and you said it needs that it need, has that it needs to be foundational, have a credible lexicon, and again addresses 
multiple stakeholders. So can you expand on each, what each of those means and how it works together? Uh, absolutely. I may, I may ask you to remind me uh, about some of those different ideas, but sure. in terms of forming the narrative, um, a scenario I've, I've seen more than once is where you walk into a situation where the company has been telling their story um, in a variety of different ways where there's not a lot of continuity or consistency. Um, again, knowing that the company hadn't really um, hadn't created the exact narrative or even the lexicon that they were using, or at least they hadn't settled on it. So a lot of different people telling different audiences the story from their perspective. Not that that's wrong necessarily, but it was somewhat confusing because, you, you, again, one of the main tenets of communication is to be consistent. Uh, and so in that respect, the lexicon is, I found to be really important. How are you saying it is as important, if not more important than what you're saying. And so that was not something that would just take form by itself. It needed some coaching. And so oftentimes I'll come in and one of the first things that we'll recognize is that the story is not nailed down. And the client knows this. They can feel it. Um, but what they're not sure about what to do is how do they bring it all together? Because they're talking to different audiences, as I said. It could be investors or it could be opinion leaders or it could be uh, prescribers or even patients. So we would begin the process of um, building that brand narrative using vocabulary and really taking an inventory of what are the what's the language that you're using? How are you describing uh, the concepts behind your brand or your product at that point? And is that language that is benefiting you, it's benefiting the understanding of, of your story, or is it something that's actually throwing up roadblocks, uh, impediments to getting your audience to understand, appreciate, and ultimately um, to uh, adopt that, that thinking. So the lexicon, the, the language you use, can be very influential in helping to bring a unifying voice to the company or to the product, ultimately to the brand. And a workshop or several healthy conversations um, are, are a good starting point to starting to begin to understand where there's discrepancies and where there's a need to clean up that language. So we've spoken with smaller companies, Emerging Biotech, and they usually have small teams as you mentioned, it's usually the founders with mm -hmm. scientific background. They are the scientists. They found the platform or the, um, you know, the technology that they're investigating and researching. And then they start to ramp up. They get a CFO, and the CFO has, you know, their speaking points with their investors. But as you said, you want to get everybody kind of on the same page. But and so you're dealing with like high-level people, but smaller numbers of them, correct, you know, that have um, – they wear a lot of multiple hats. But how do you get them – a scientist to start thinking about what an investor wants to hear and how you get the CFO to think about their product and physicians and not the money, you know? Where does where does that come from? Yeah, it's a, another great question, and I, 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 I'll give you my perspective. There's no one easy answer to that. Uh, I think that – 
what I value is that the people who do come in the room as smart as they are and whatever discipline they come from, there's a certain level of open-mindedness that they, they know what they know and, and they at the same time will acknowledge there's other ways of thinking about how to tell their story or how to, how to speak with their different stakeholders. So with that, um, you need to have an honest conversation with these companies. And again, they appreciate that, particularly if you're coming in as an, as an expert, which consultants are often are, are afforded that sort of title. Um, and, and so when you talk with them about their audience, you, you need to be able to back it up with some type of proof source. And, and oftentimes that proof is your experience having worked with many similar companies with similar problems or similar opportunities or similar issues that they need to overcome. And so another thing is we appreciate when the decision makers in the room um, excuse themselves when they feel like it's outside their comfort zone or outside their their area of expertise. And that's a kind of a, a refreshing perspective when you can see people who know a lot uh, will all at the same time acknowledge that they're they're not the right people to sometimes make that decision. They may be an influencer, but they're not always the ones to 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 look to for that kind of decision making. And that's when they look at the third party, more objective people in the room, perhaps such as the agency or the or the consultant, to get an opinion, to get a read on on what do you think, and. Uh, from there, it's, it does become more organic. We, we don't try to come in there and force recommendations right off the bat with them because every situation is different. Um, and so it's good to have an open dialogue. It's good to let some of that circular discussion go, go on for a while because it, you're listening for insights. Um, not, and, and again, it's not a rush to make a decision and, and, put a bow around the idea, but to let people who've been immersed in this, who, who've seen oftentimes way more than you've, you've witnessed, uh, to, to share their own opinions and, and share what they know about the audience that they're speaking to. So I think that's important to, as a consultant or as an agency to, to, to listen more than you, than you speak. And I say that as I'm speaking more than I'm listening, but you get the point. It's it's an opportunity to really open your own eyes and, and uh, not rush to conclusions. So my guidance for some of these companies is to stay on strategy at the end of the day, whether they have a big budget or a small budget. There's there's a lot of opportunistic things that, that pop up that look appealing um, for companies that aren't necessarily on strategy and therefore aren't in the company or the brand's best interest. So I think when you when you play the role of that consultant, you play the role of that agency, you need to maintain objectivity as best you can. It's the, the industry of communications and branding is a very subjective place. It's squishy for a lot of these science-minded people. It's squishy even, you know, for a lot of people in the agency world. So you have to be you know, open to different different schools of thought and different possibilities. And I think that's something that you never want to lose. Um, listen more than you, you talk. That's awesome. So you just um, did touch on 
the next question I have, which was budgets and money. I mean, smaller companies don't have a lot of money to burn. You know, they're very conscious of where they spend their money. So what do you advise them then when it comes to marketing and communications? What either budget choices or how to manage the money or what they should be looking at first? What do you advise them? Well, again, you're, you're right. I mean, the the, the the budget seems like it's never enough, and they know that. And um, whether that's true or not, really the point, the point is to prioritize, to know what's really going to move the market, move mindset, move the, you know, the proverbial needle. And so all the choices that you have today, and there's way more choices of, of, up to, as to where you'll spend your money now than ever before, it's really important to kind of align those in a, in a disciplined way with with critical success factors and and core strategies and understand that you can't do everything at the same time and nor should you do everything at the same time so spend your spend your money where it's going to do the most good um better to do fewer things than more things and paper the walls it, it's way better to go deeper with your audience and show that level of, of commitment and investment than it is to try and outspend the competition, for instance, and, and barely be seen as a result. So don't spread yourself too thin. Look for high-impact, uh, high-perceived value ideas and, and, and whether they're programs or initiatives, and put, put the money in, in the right place where it counts. Uh, it's a fairly high-level answer to that. Um, and again, you have to, you, you kind of have to look at the, the longer game here to know what's going to work in the short term. So you said, um, throughout this discussion, you know, working, you make conscious choices about the clients that you want to take, the environment that you enjoy. You enjoy these, you know, the intelligent people around the table that are really invested, very passionate. They're refreshing with their, um, ability to, step back when they don't know things. So I'm sure you've had a lot of memorable moments, but what is maybe one of your most memorable moments now consulting with the smaller biopharma or biotech? Yeah, again, a tough question to answer. There's uh, a lot of different moments that pop into my head, race through my head, actually. So I'd say that Almost, you know, 99.9% of the time I am brought in by somebody in a marketing capacity, whether it's um, the, the, the COO or the CCO or somebody that's spearheading the marketing team. So those people know what they're there to do, and they, they you know, ostensibly know the value you're bringing to the table. What's not so clear is the people who show up at these meetings who you're not familiar with, and, and I'm referring specifically to the, the scientists, the, the head of, of clinical affairs, or even the heads of the legal departments, medical legal departments. And it's when those people come forward and pull you aside after it's all been said and done and, and acknowledge your contribution, saying you not only got the medicine and, and, and really understood what we're trying to say, but you helped us to to, to simplify, to to see clearly what we're all about, to really raise us above the, the the millions of things that we're dying to talk about, 
to find clarity, to find a single point of view, to, to, to find our voice. And those things, I think, again, which is the profession that, that I chose to enter and stay with, um, to, to have the people who are scientists offer that as a, as an, as a, uh, acknowledgement of, of what you can do and, and how you've helped the company. I find that to be, again, a seriously rewarding uh, uh, point in time for me. So that's, that is, I guess, uh, surprisingly, um, what, one of the standout moments I've had in my career is, is the scientists coming up and, and congratulating us or, or me personally, depends on the team, of course, because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, I'm not a one-man band. Mm-hmm. Even though sometimes I'm accused of that, um, it's it's great to, to to get the acknowledgement of our team by those scientists who are really the reason we're all there, event, you know, ultimately. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. And thank you for being with us today, Bob. We oh, really appreciate it. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it as well. I, I hope this has been helpful and uh, look forward to talking to you again. And now it's time for this week's Leadership Tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Bob Finkel. I'm founder and CEO of Fresh Blood Group. So my leadership tip, if there is one, is simply this, is, is to be authentic and, and, and stay with what you, what you believe in because um, that integrity People can read in the room. They they know when you're being real and they know when you're not. And as long as you can maintain that truthfulness, then your credibility will be maintained and, and you'll be you'll be viewed as somebody who really is there to make a, a, a contribution, not a not one that serves their own purposes, but one that really serves the company and, and the brands that you've been asked to help to make more successful. So be authentic. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at PharmExec.com, on Twitter at PharmExec, on Instagram at PharmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of PharmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.